Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. What Tom did that just blows my mind that none of these athletes really had to do is Tom created who he is today from really right. right I mean, it's been going on since he was in high school, but you know, once he got into the NFL and he saw what his competition was, he leveled up one, but two, Tom learned the system or, or he learned the game and then created a system to excel at the highest level in that game. It's essentially like what Elon Musk is doing in the car business. Right. Yeah. And when you, when you, when you look at that, it's, it's actually phenomenal when, as opposed to looking at a Kobe or a Jordan, because he didn't have those gifts. Tom Brady's the, the slowest quarterback in the NFL. He doesn't have the strongest arm. But yet he's won more Super Bowls than anybody else. <laughs> yeah. How is that possible? Really, what it comes down to is his hunger to win. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Brett, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. No, thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I found out about you because you contacted me on LinkedIn. And uh, right when I did some digging, I found out that you had played in the NFL. And I said, wow, you know what? I have been wanting to interview somebody who has played professional sports, either in the NFL or in NBA for a long time. So uh, I'm really thrilled that you're here. But before we get into all of that, I want to start asking, what did your parents do for work? And how did that end up shaping and influencing uh, where you've ended up with your life and your career? Interesting question. I've gotten it uh, quite a bit. And uh, my, my father um, owned, a, owned a bakery back in the day and then um, uh, was into uh, had a printing shop. So did the uh, the banners and the uh, the art designs for, you know, hair products and things of that nature. So he was a entrepreneur and then ended up getting into um, into the, the uh, car industry. So uh, last 20 years, he's worked for Cadillac um, and, and GMC. And so um you know, he was an artistic creative. And then my mother is more of the kind of, you know, straightforward um, thinking. Um, but she uh, started as a social worker. She graduated from USC, got her master's from there, and then um, ended up working um, in the uh, at the LA Children's Court for about 20 years and then retired from there. So how in the world does, uh, you know, somebody who's a social worker and an artistic creative end up with a son who ends up, you know, playing professional football? Like what what kinds of you know extracurricular activities did they encourage in you? And you, were you just one of these kids who, like we see in the movies, where they pick up a football and you know nine years old, they're just constantly carrying it around with them everywhere? <laughs> uh, no, not not at all. I mean, I, I definitely you know would, would carry a basketball around from time to time just to work on my handles. But um, you know, my my parents, my father uh, was was uh, a big athlete. He had broken his leg when he was um, sixteen in a motorcycle accident. So um, that that kind of uh, stopped his uh his his career going forward he was in a cast from from his neck down um covering his entire body for about six months so imagine that that at 16 and then trying to get back out there and run so um but he was the fastest guy in his neighborhood played football um did very very well 
my mother, she wasn't so much into sports, but she still, you know, as a woman, very athletic. And so um, they had me in, in sports ever since I was four years old. So I would do three sports a year from soccer, you know, baseball, basketball. And, you know, I did that all the way until I was about nine and then started switching that up to, you know, football, basketball, track, and really got a solid foundation on, you know, learning several different sports, how to run, uh, how to shoot, how to jump, and really just using my body. But, you know, I believe everybody has natural gifts. And, uh, and it definitely was my natural gift. And to kind of put some context around this, my younger brother played in the NFL as well as my sister, um, who made it to, um, she didn't play in the NFL, but she made it to, um, to, to collegiate, uh, soccer, women's soccer. So, um, it's definitely genetics, but it's also, uh, just time and, and practice playing, you know, playing our, our sports and just being an athlete. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you brought up the, the genetics, but also the, the sort of time and, and, you know, uh, practice that goes into all of this, because, you know, I think I grew up as, you know, a scrawny Indian kid in a Texas town and you play football. So, you know, this in Texas, seventh graders are the size of grown men, literally. (laughs) And, um, you just get the shit beat out of you. It became very clear to me that I had no future in football, even though I stuck it out for one entire season. And then I became the backup kicker, which basically meant you never got hit. You never did anything to practice. Um, you know, one of my friends was a place kicker and he had played on the soccer team. He's like, oh, he's like, yeah, he's like, you can be the kicker and, you know, you'll probably avoid, you know, tackling drills where you're getting the shit beat out of you. But I think the more important question for me that that arises from that is I started to believe sort of early in my life that I just didn't have any natural athletic ability, which is crazy because I'm an avid surfer and snowboarder now, which are both incredibly athletic pursuits. Absolutely. And, you know, part of it, I think, comes from the fact that, you know, I'm in school and, and most kids are in school with kids like you who happen to have this sort of natural gift. And as a result, they kind of come to believe that, OK, well, what's the point in trying? Like, why would I spend you know time on a football field? And so I, I wonder you know, what role you think that, you know, coaches and, and parents and everybody play in all of that. And more importantly, how people prevent themselves from developing that that limitation that they don't have any athletic ability yeah you know that's that's a great question and uh, i was actually on a uh, a fireside chat uh, the other day with a, a panelist of um uh, uh doctors and then um a, a vice president from a university who handles athletics and uh, we were talking about the time compression in terms of how long it takes anyone just in 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 totality to understand something at a very very high level right and you know, I still coach certain uh, uh, youth athletes, and the one thing that I that I, I t- talk to them about, and I talk to their parents about, is that there's a certain amount of time that it takes for somebody to learn the game. Now, when you have someone like myself who's played at the highest level, I can compress that time because I'm I'm streamlining the most important things that the child needs to learn in order to be successful, right? But there's still so many elements of the game that he has to or she has to physically go through it to actually understand it because I can tell them, Hey, in this situation, you need to make sure you look up and and you lean into the wide receiver. Right. But if the kid doesn't go through that himself and then has the ball caught on him because he didn't lean back and look, look up instead of, um, or or doing the opposite of what I'm telling them to do, then it becomes, then he starts to learn on his own. Right. And so self-education is probably the best thing. And experience is really the thing that, you know, in business executives, right? That's why they get these big comp plans, right? Because the experience and the results is what people pay for. 
Yeah. Well, I think the thing that really struck me is, you know, as I've you know done Unmistakable Creative and read thousands of books over the last 10 years, um, particularly books like Mastery by Robert Greene, uh, when you read the sort of Bill Bradley story of how he didn't possess any sort of natural athletic ability, but he basically carried a basketball with him everywhere he went. Nobody told me that I could get better. Like no coach ever pulled me aside and said, if you practice, you can actually improve. And I, I don't know why. And so I guess the question that arises from that for me is how much of this is about physical capability and how much of this is cognitive ability? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a, I love that question. For anybody who makes it to the professional ranks, 80% of it, 80 to 90% of it is physical talent, right? And then about 20% of it, I would say is cognitive because I can teach someone how to play the game, but if they they just can't run faster than the person next to them, or they, they, they don't run anywhere close to the person next to them, then it's going to be become, become very, very uh, difficult to compete. Right. And so it, it like I said before, it kind of comes down to the time that the, that, that the person playing the sport has. So for instance, you started, when did you start playing football? Seventh grade, seventh grade. Right. And you played it for a year and you're like, I'm done. Right. I think I lasted for six months. Okay. Uh, keep in mind, right. I'm Indian, so I wasn't genetically yeah, predisposed no, for anything like this. Yeah. So you, that was kind of the pivotal stages to where if you had continued to play football and you, let's just say you got a coach and you had a trainer and your parents encouraged you to play football, that could have been a, a turning point in terms of your athletic career, right? If you wanted to maintain and actually play football, mm -hmm. right? Because Realistically speaking, when we look at how long it takes to master anything, it's really, I mean, I, I like to take the 10,000 hour rule from outliers, but, um, you know, sometimes you can compress that with the right yeah. information and the right coach, right? And so it comes down to the deliberate practice, but the coaching and the parenting is so um, uh, just uh, significant in a child's life because the biggest thing you can teach a child isn't how to play uh, that sport or play that game uh, to the best of his ability, but it's to teach him how to be confident in his own abilities and control how he thinks about his actions and his decision-making. Because that's really yeah. all it comes down to is, is, hey, how confident are you that when you line up against the opposing team, you're going to be able to execute, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just having those expectations and putting them on the, on the kid like, hey, this is what I'm expecting of you, right? Not because this is what I expect, because, but this is what I know you can give. Right. And so I'm only going to coach you to how, how, how great I think you can be. And I'm always going to ask for more. And I think it's just instilling that at a very young age. And that's what our parents, my, my parents instilled in my, my younger brother and, and my younger sister and, my, and myself, which was yeah. never start something you weren't going to finish and never, uh, never do anything less than your best. Yeah. Well, so I think the the other question comes out for, out of that for me is this fear, right, of being hit? Because I mean, you know, firsthand, uh, getting hit by somebody on a football field is not the same as you know somebody just punching you in the arm. That shit hurts. <laughs> like you feel it; it stings. Yeah. And you know, uh, and I remember, you know, I, I saw this clip. I think it was like a, a, a clip from a documentary uh, about football players where Tiki Barber was on the Daily Show talking to Trevor Noah. And saying, he's like, people think that we're like these fearless people who have no fear of being hit. And he said, that's far from the truth. Uh, so, you know, how do you how do you manage the mindset? Because, you know, I know even as a quarterback, somebody gets, you know, basically an entire line to protect them. But when they get sacked, 
bad shit happens. I remember watching The Blind Side thinking, wow, Lawrence Taylor ended that guy's career. And that's not, you know, but this is a very real part of the game. So how do you navigate that dynamic of of fear and how do you translate that into other parts of your life? Fear is inevitable uh, in in anything I think that you do that's that's new. Um, And when I say fear, I mean the emotion of Hey, am I going to be able to do this? And if I don't do it, what what what's the result, right? Or if I I can't do it to the best of my ability, or I can't get the job done, then what, right? And the fear comes from the external ramifications, right? So you know, my coach is going to be upset, my team is going to be upset with me, my parents um, are going to be you know discouraged, or I'm going to feel like I'm letting someone down. And so once you understand that you're doing this for you particularly in sports and anything else in life. I, I mean, I, I, there's so many, you know, uh, uh, just, just correlations between sports and, and, and life, right? Because a lot of times we have our why, but we tend to do things for other people as opposed to doing them for ourselves, right? And so, you know, once you get out of that and then you start living through, hey, this is why I'm here and this is what I'm here to do, then things start to become a little bit easier. But now we're we're getting in between the lines, right? And so yeah. there has to be a transformation mentally, not physically, mentally, when you step on the football field, right? And this is different than a lot of other sports. I've played basketball, I've ran track, I've kind of done baseball. I mean, I've done it all. And when you step on the football field, your mindset has to shift and you have to become somebody else. There's no way to go me versus you for, you know, four quarters. Okay, and pounding our bodies against each other. It's just a pure game of will. Who's willing to um, uh, give more effort and, and, and who's willing to die for what it is that they want on the football field? And it, it's, it's, it sounds kind of <laughs> um, intense, but, but it absolutely is, right? You, yeah. you have guys flying full speed. It's very similar to military training, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then going out into combat, right? Obviously, we're not shooting bullets, but guys are running as fast as they can coming down to hit you as hard as possible. And it's, it's literally, you know, I would always say if you make it out of a game, you know, it's the luckiest thing you, you, you can do, right? Because you literally don't know when your next play is your last play in football. Yeah. So that being said, uh, were you one of these people who in high school decided that, you know, my goal is to make it to the NFL? And the, the reason I ask this, and, and I wonder, you know, what the response was from your parents. I mean, even knowing that your your brothers and sisters had some degree of success with sports, because, you know, as well as anybody making it as an athlete, a professional athlete is almost as unlikely as making it as a professional artist. Um, the odds are stacked against you, no matter how talented you are, because uh, there's another documentary that I saw um, about, I, I believe it's some sort of training camp that people go to right after they finish with college. And it's basically, it's somewhere in Florida. It's like five straight days of the best college athletes, like you know, just having graduated, going through some sort of training. Um, and I distinctly remember one of them not making it. after, and, and he was one of the top college players in the country. So I wonder, you know, early in high school, was this the goal? And, and what did your parents tell you? Uh, about the possibility that it might not work out, or did that even come up? That, that really wasn't a conversation in my household. I mean, we really just focused on the present. Um, you know, we we didn't really talk. Like, I, I knew I was going to college. I didn't know how I was getting to college at that time. I, you know, my my parents didn't talk about the admissions process. I don't think you know they really knew you know as much as as they should have about the process. But I knew that there was this this you know 
uh, pro- progression from, you know, middle school, high school to college and then to pro sports. I, I, that's just what I believe. Um, and so I didn't know what sport I was going to play, but I knew I was going to play a professional sport. And it sounds so almost uh, just strange to listen to. Right. It's like this guy knew he was just going to play football. He didn't know how he was going to get there. But that's just how I, I, I lived and I went about my, my life. And so once I got to high school was when I started to realize how good I was. I got pulled up on varsity my first year um, and uh, and then ended up playing varsity for the next three years. And it wasn't until my junior year when I went to a, a Nike camp, very similar to what you're talking about with where college players uh, go to. It's called the NFL Combine, which is usually what guys tra- train for after their college career. So I did that Every guy that that finishes college is going to go to a training facility where he's going to train for about six to eight weeks, get as strong, as fast, um, and as smart as he can when it comes to understanding the game of football. And then he goes out and tests either at the NFL Combine, which is the top 300 guys in the nation, or if you don't make it to the NFL Combine, what each uh, college has is something called a pro day, which... 31, usually 31 NFL scouts come out to all most of the major division one colleges and they run the players through the same exact test that they do with the NFL combine with the top 300 players, except this gives each player who went to every single university who's now a senior wanting to go to the NFL a shot at the NFL. And so that's exactly what I did. But going back to high school, I didn't know how great I was until I went to something very similar at San Diego State which was a Nike camp. This was when Nike started putting on these huge camps where they would pretty much invite every single athlete within the area, um, you know, close to, you know, anywhere from 150 to 300 miles away. Some people were driving from out of state to actually come to this, this trial because at this time, this is where all the college coaches could actually come. Now, now college coaches, NCAA doesn't allow college coaches to actually attend these camps. But back in the day, you know, we had Pete Carroll there who was at USC. We had some, you know, Mike Stoops, some of the biggest uh, head coaches in college football were at these camps. And so I went to this camp my junior year and I just blew the the roof off of the, the, the camp, you know, and a week later I had a scholarship from Arizona university. And that was the first time I really knew how good I was in football. Yeah. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So <clears throat> a lot of other, other questions come to this, right? So you have this sort of sudden elevation in, in status that you know, most people don't experience. Because I, I even remember, uh, you probably know who Chris Claiborne is because we're both from Southern California. I went to yeah. high school with him. Mm-hmm. And you know, he ended up you know, being recruited from everywhere. But the thing that I wonder about is how you stay grounded um, and maintain some semblance of sanity when you have this almost instant celebrity status that comes from the fact that you have this gift. Um, and then also what misperceptions do you think that people have about the lives of both college and, and professional athletes? Because I think that, um, you know, just having done some research, I know that, you know, there's this perception that, Oh, these people live, leave incredibly, you know, sort of glamorous lives filled with like millions of dollars. And even in college, it's just like, Oh, you know, they have their fair share of like women who just want them and they get to like live these glamorous lives. But I know that's far from the truth. It, it, it totally is. And you know, there's, there's always been a misconception in terms of college athletes and it's not just football, but it's kind of across the board. And I know uh, a big, uh, win for college athletes is them actually being able to get paid now, uh, which I know, you know, we, we were fighting for that when I was back in college, but it was, it was, we knew it wasn't going to happen because of the fact that, you know, quote unquote, they're giving you a a scholarship right to a, a prestigious university like UCLA, where I attended 
you know, that's, you know, right now, I mean, that's, it's like $45,000 a year to attend that university roughly. So you're talking about, you know, a little over $120,000 scholarship. Should the athlete actually get paid? And the answer to that is yes. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's a business. And we all know that NCAA uh, sports is particularly football, make universities most of their income. And when you look at sports across the board, like at a UCLA, I believe it's somewhere close to around 80% of revenue that comes through the door is through sports, either from donations for sports or otherwise, right? Or bowl games, things of that nature, final four attendances and, and, and so on. So, you know, there's this element of business that goes into pro sport or college sports that, um, college players don't get to take advantage of as of, you know, as of uh, late. Right. And so for me, when I was in college, um, there was this misconception of, Hey, these guys have it easy. You know, they have tutors, um, you know, they, they, the, the professors take it easy on them and, and so on and so forth. And that's, that's not the case at all. Right. And, um, you know, we, we tend to try not to live up to the stereotype, even though we do fall into a category, just like everybody else, right. You look at the tech community, you know, yeah. you can say certain things about them or, or, or investment banking, right? Everybody has their own community, but there is a certain arrogance and ego involved in football because it is such a a, a physical, physically demanding sport, and it's all men. I mean, the the thing that I that I had to get comfortable with once I left the NFL and 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 transitioned into kind of corporate was the fact that I was around women. You know, it, it wasn't necessarily a. Uh, it, it was kind of a, not a shock, but it was just something that I had to to adjust to because in the NFL, all the trainers are men and all your teammates are men and all the coaches are men, right? And okay. so you're just used to being around a lot of testosterone, a lot of guys talking shit um, and, and a, a ton of competition every single day. And so that's where I think a lot of the the ego comes from when you look at these athletes. But by all means, the system is meant for athletes to fail. And when I say that, I mean that... When you go to college, right? I went to UCLA. Okay. You pick your major based on when football practice is. So if there's certain classes that are per se in the e- in the evening during the fall or afternoon, you can't take those classes because during that time is when you have film and you have practice. And then during the spring, you have to take classes or courses in the evening because practice off-season workouts are in the morning, right? And so if you talk to any UCLA football player, they've either been a sociology major, a communications major, political science major, a history major, and a geography major. That's like 99% of the majors. And some of the smarter, smarter guys may have a math uh, degree or things of that sort, right? Yeah. But it's because of keeping guys in line so that they can play football, right? So that's that's already the the, the first phase of, of or the system, I think, that falls through because you're, you're arming these guys with a degree that isn't really... Uh, and, and we know this obviously dealing with COVID right now. There's, there's the, the, the skill set 20 years ago that we're still teaching today are not applicable to today and succeeding in today's society. And so you give these guys these degrees and then 99% of them will not make it to the NFL. Right. And so you've had tutors for them. You've had, uh, counselors checking on them, making sure that they're, they're in class, making sure that they're, they're getting good grades because they have to stay eligible to play football, right? You have a, a schedule for them for, for, for football meetings, for, for when to be at practice, when to be at workout. So you're not, they're not doing any of this, right? And so when, when people talk about the babying and, and, and them being spoiled, it's not really being spoiled. It's just everybody's doing something for them so that you can focus on being your best playing that sport, right? And you still got to come up, come in to workouts at six o'clock. You still got to give, 
maximum effort. You still got to go to practice in the evenings. And so there's a physically and mentally demanding regiment that these athletes um, have to go through every single year while they're in college and still maintain a great uh, uh, GPA in order to play football. And so there's so many elements, but 99% of these guys get done playing and then they don't have the, the, the skill set, the degree, the planning, the tools to really get them to, to, to jumpstart in life where most college kids are interning at JP Morgan or some consulting firm. And now they have a shoe in the door and they've also been studying what it is that they're going to be doing for probably the last at least two years. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's the biggest gap from, from where I see regular students to, to compare to student athletes is that the student athletes does, don't get the intern. They, they don't get the opportunities to, to go out and, and learn what it is they want to do. They're strictly playing football or basketball or baseball, whatever it is they're doing. And then if they don't make it to the next level, they have to figure life out. Yeah. So that, that actually was a perfect segue to my next question. You, know, you pointed out that 99% uh, don't actually make it to the, to the pros. Uh, outside of you know sort of not being prepared to start their lives like what happens to their psyche especially for the guys who basically think they're headed there because you know i mean you're right i mean i i saw situations where somebody who was like one of the top ranked people in the country doesn't make it like that has got to be incredibly disruptive to your sense of identity when you've spent your entire life working towards this one goal thinking <laughs> that this is where you're going to end up and to have that sort of taken you know out from under you that's got to be incredibly disorienting yeah, it it's for many, many college athletes, because we got to look at where most of these athletes are coming from. Um, a lot of them are coming from, you know, underserved communities. Um, they're coming from gangs they are coming from um, uh, broken homes and they're using football as our only outlet to get out of their situation. And, you know, I, if you watch the NFL draft, there's a story almost every single year about a guy who, you know, his, his mother was on drugs or his father was shot or something of that sort. And he turned to football, which kept him on the straight and narrow and allowed him to get to college. Right. And so they go from this atmosphere of mom, not home, having to take care of, you know, one or two siblings, not really eating three meals a day, not knowing what's going to happen, having to deal with violence and drugs and abuse sometimes. And then they get to a university. Right. And football has given them everything that they have in their life, right? They, they see a new, they, imagine going from, you know, South Central LA to UCLA or USC, right? Um, you know, or, 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 you know, anywhere else, right? To, to where you're at a top university, you're amongst top uh, 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 academics, and it's just a different world. And so for a lot of these guys, it's an adjustment to um, the actual um, uh, college experience, right? Because they're not used to that. But outside of that, if they don't make it to the next level, hey, they lose. It's almost like losing everything, right? Yeah. And most of these guys end up struggling. Um, a lot of them, I've seen several, you know, go back to, you know, what they know. Some have been in robberies and gone to jail, and you know, that's that's like worst case scenario. Best case scenario is you're down for you know a year or two. I have a good friend, Donovan Carter. Um, who played at UCLA, UCLA with me, and he was down and out for like a year or two, and um, ended up going back to UCLA and was like, "Hey guys, like I got a degree from here. I played football here. I, like, can you guys help me out? I need a job. Like, I, I've been out of football for two years. I graduated. I can't get a job. I have a UCLA degree, right? And so they said, "What do you want to do?" He says, "I'm I'm willing to do anything." He, they said, "How about acting?" He said, "Sure, why not?" They introduced him to uh, a casting or, or an acting agent. And 
he he goes out on this casting for this show called Ballers and ends up getting picked up. Uh, and I, I don't know if you've heard of that show with Dwayne Johnson, yeah, but uh, he, one of the biggest football shows, um, you know, um, uh, you know, out there. And he ended up making it for four seasons and it completely changed his life. But without that, I don't know where he would where he'd be. Yeah. Right. And there's so many guys that don't get an opportunity like that. There's so many guys that don't have resources or um, a family member to help them out. You know, I, I know a lot of guys that go to USC and the great thing about being in Los Angeles is, is, you know, understanding that USC has a deep, deep uh, alumni core um, and UCLA is nowhere close to that. And so you know, <laughs> I, it, it's sad to say, right? I, know. And, I, mean, I, I was a Pepperdine student who got rejected by the USC business school. So I know firsthand what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. But if you had a, if you had a few recommendations from a few from the right alumni, you, you, you'd, you'd probably be in there. But to, to say the least, USC football players have a significant advantage once they leave because USC takes care of its guys. And that's the one thing I do respect. And they may not have the, the skills, but they're, they're coming out and they're making 90K to 100K. Yeah. And, um, you know, most athletes at USC are, you know, back at home living with mom and dad and trying to figure it out, maybe a part-time trainer or maybe going back to their local high school and coaching because that's all that they know. And I guess what I'm saying uh, to sum all of this up is that universities aren't equipped or aren't um, educating and equipping the student athletes with the right material to make them successful in life. Their only, their only job there is to make them successful in their sport at the university. And I, I don't respect that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that you talk about the fact that this is all a business, which makes a, a perfect segue to talking about the actual NFL part. So what happens to your life when you realize that you are now you know, on an NFL team, uh, and, and numerous questions come from this, you know, how does it change the relationships with people in your life? Because I think it was Charles Barkley who was, uh, on, I think it was on Dr. Phil's podcast talking about the fact that many of these guys come in and as you mentioned, they go from being sort of in underprivileged communities to having more money than they've ever had in their life. And, um, you said, and because of that, many of them never learn how to manage their finances, even though they've had this like wildly successful sports career, they leave the NFL or NBA broke. Yeah. Yeah. So l l let me ask you. So what did your parents do growing, growing up? You don't mind me asking. My dad's a college professor. My dad's a college professor. So, you know, I was guided down a very academic path from an early age. Got it. Got it. And, and, does, and, and I'm assuming he's, he's financially savvy as well. Yeah. 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 So, you know, there wasn't anybody in my household and, my, and I come from a, uh, you know, upper middle class neighborhood but my father and my mother, you know, really didn't know anything outside of just making sure you save, you know, money. That's that's really what it what it came down to. There was no investing. There was no understanding four hundred one ks. There was no yeah. I would say my parents market. were not savvy either. Then yeah, I think we're probably right. we we probably came with very for very similar sort of financial backgrounds. Sure, sure. And so you know, when most guys are aren't from where, where you and me are from, right? They're from, yeah. hey, mom is working three jobs just to put food on the table. And as soon as I get this money, I want to take care of her. And I want to take care of my family. And usually what happens is you start getting, you know, auntie and, and uncle and cousins that start popping up or you just have a big family and you want to take care of everybody. And so you start giving guys, you know, 5,000 here, 10,000 there. Um, you know, buy a mom a house, hundred thousand there. Uh, and, and you, you don't realize that you got to pay taxes. 
you don't realize that um, even on your signing bonus, you still have to pay taxes. Um, and then you don't realize what that money actually uh, relate uh, actually comes out to after you pay those taxes. And so, um, you know, that um, among fitting into the culture, right? We talked about how every industry has its own culture. The culture in the NFL is um, making sure when you're traveling, you you look the part, right? Which means you need to have a custom suit, right? Or or some some other fancy uh, attire, whatever uh, the the. Uh, guidelines are for travel. You got to travel with a nice bag. So most guys have a Louis Vuitton travel bag. Um, some guys may have a Gucci bag. It's a little, little uh, less, uh, a little cheaper, right? It's still affordable, but just a little cheaper. Still looks nice. You got to have the nice, you know, bling. So some guys have a chain. Um, some guys have nice earrings. You got to have a nice watch, right? So your first year coming into the NFL, you're living up to these expectations, and in the, in, in you're looking at these idols that you kind of looked up to, right? Like if I came into the league right now and I, you know, let's just say I went to the Browns, I would be, that's where I started, right? I would be looking up to like Odell Beckham, right? And I would be looking at his lifestyle saying, that's how I got to live, right? So I'm training like Odell, I'm buying certain things like Odell. I'm trying to keep up with Odell, even though I haven't played as long as Odell. So that means I don't have the longevity component. I don't have the endorsement component and I'm not making as much money as Odell. Right. Yeah. And so this is where guys start to um, live outside of their means when they're going out to Vegas with these guys during the off season. And, you know, guys are at a table and they're spending twenty five thousand dollars at a table, but they have, you know, twenty five million dollar contract with Nike and they're getting paid seven million a year on their team. So they have the dough to spend and you're you know, you're spending your, your 10 or 15K into you. That's a lot of money. Right. When you're, yeah. when you're only making, you know, the, the, the I think the minimum salary this year is close to half of half a million a year. But yeah. after tax, let's just call it, you know, 270, 280. Right. And you're spending fifteen thousand dollars at a club. Yeah. And you, you don't know if you're going to play next year. That that becomes an issue. That becomes a major issue. And that, you know, I fell into that my first year. Um, you know, ninety nine percent of, of uh, I, I'd say not 99%, but I'd say about 75% to 80% of, of NFL athletes fall into that same category, living outside their means. Um, and then once that contract or that season's, that next season's ripped away from them, they didn't save enough money for that rainy day. And that's the main difference between, I'd say, like an attorney that's making the same amount of money um, as an athlete is one, that attorney knows that he's going to be there next year, right? Maybe maybe he gets let go for for poor performance, but he can get another job at a, at a at a smaller firm, right? Whereas if you're an athlete and you know there's only about sixteen hundred players that play in the NFL every single year, there's fifty three on each team. You do the math, thirty two times um, fifty three, yeah. right? If you're not playing on that team, you're not getting paid. And if you're not getting paid, well, how are how are you going to maintain this lifestyle? And so it's it's very. Imagine if you were an attorney. Right, you worked for for five years and you made it to partner. I, I know it's a fast track, but let's just say you made it to partner and you're making a million a year and you created this lifestyle. Right, you got your mortgage. Maybe you have a four or five million dollar house in Los Angeles. That's you know pennies, or that's going to get you you know some very small in the LA area. But you know, let's <laughs> say four, four or five million bucks. Yeah, uh, you got a nice car. You got your kids in private school. You, you know, you're 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 paying for you know all your expenses, vacations, things of that nature. And then all of a sudden, you get let go and you can't get signed you don't get picked up by another law firm, right? Yeah. Like Im- imagine how that financial picture looks. It looks very similar to an NFL player, right? And that's, that's what these NFL guys don't understand is that you can't, you can't start blowing, I'm not even going to say blowing money. You can't start buying big expensive toys 
um, that are liabilities until you actually have money to live in the event that you were to, to get let go for the rest of your life. And, and most guys will never be there. I mean, even if you got $5 million and you're, you know, you retire at 27 years old, I mean, how, how far is 5 million going to get you from now until, you know, I mean, at, at this age I'm, or at this time, I think we're all going to live to close to a hundred just where what technology is going. Yeah. So there, there is that, that component of fitting in um, and, 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 Buying into you know what the culture is, and you know you see it in investment banking. Uh, there's there's a culture there. You see it in private equity. There's a culture there, just like you see it in sports. Hmm. Well, I think that given sort of what is going on in our country, it would be you know short sighted on my part not to talk to you about race relations, in the NFL, and and the reason that I'm I'm curious about this is that um, I and you may know or be familiar with this book. A sports journalist, a black sports journalist, wrote a book called Forty Million Dollar Slaves. Um, I don't know if you've ever read it, but it was really fascinating to look at sort of the dynamics of race and professional sports. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was stunned to find out that, you know, professional sports in America began during slavery with slave fights. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, I didn't know that. I learned something new today. Yeah, no, it was just like, holy crap. But I, I think the thing that really struck me most, and even Andre Iguodala writes about this in his memoir, he's like, yeah, you see that we get the, these sort of like multi-million dollar contracts. But he said, the truth is that the people who make the real money in professional sports, much like in the NCAA, are the people at the very top. And I think the NFL has like one non-white owner, and it's the guy, the you know Pakistani guy who owns the Jaguars. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shahid yep. Khan, which is that's a whole other crazy story of, of an immigrant, you know, who like who loved cricket and somehow became a football fan. But um, you know, you as as an African American who has played in the NFL, when you look at race in the NFL, what do you see that you find to be sort of wrong, what's right, what works, you know, what needs to be fixed, I guess, is really the question. Yeah, that, that's, that's a great question. And I think it's different from, from everybody's perspective. Um, you know, I don't know necessarily in terms of compensation, if we can say that we need to fix compensation because guys are compensated very well. Um, you know, for, for you banging your body, I know, you know, the new um, uh, agreement with the owners between the players, I think, I believe the owners take 51% now and, or no, 52% of the revenue and 50 um, and 48% of the revenue goes to the NFL players. So I, I, I think that's close to uh, a very close win. And I think it's, it's one of the closest wins that we're going to get when it comes to the support that we get from the NFL, when it comes to, um, the whole race issue that has really just uh, accelerated this year due to a number of events. Just say what it is. I think that's my that's my my main issue with what's going on. Just say what it is. And if you don't like something, or if you don't like someone, or if you don't like a race, just just wear it on your sleeve. That's, I'm 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 fine with that. I just want to associate with you, right? But don't hide it to get players to actually go out and play because you know that you're not going to have a season if it, if it doesn't right and there's certain there's certain owners like Jerry Jones who doesn't doesn't hide it right he said if you kneel you're going to get fined right or you may get released off the team during the the national anthem but you know when we go back and we look at 2016 when the whole Colin Kaepernick issue became uh, a national you know spectacle and the NFL did not stand behind it no NFL uh, coach no NFL uh, owner, um, Trump 
said that, you know, uh, it's disrespectful. And he, he called him some derogatory names for kneeling during the flag. And I understand what the flag represents. And I believe that um, you should salute every single person that's fought for you to live in a country as great as America. But what I don't believe is that you shun Kaepernick. You He loses his career when he was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And then when everything transpires this year, you come out and say, we support Colin Kaepernick and we support the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, Matters movement when four years ago, there was no support. So what has changed from now to four years, right? From 2016 to 2020 NFL, what has changed? And the only thing that's changed is there's been a national rise of, of pretty much uh, uh, every group, black, white, and indifferent that support equality that want to see fairness. And because it has become a national spectacle and companies, pretty much all major corporate companies have gotten on board and said, this is wrong, right? Because if, if, if they didn't, right, even at the top, right, think of like the board of directors, even if there are certain people that don't necessarily believe in it, if you're corporate, you're Apple, if you're Google, and you don't jump on board and say, we support this, then it means you yeah. don't, right? And so now you now now you're you're, you're typecasted and, and and now you know now the media is going to bash you and say you don't support equality, right? And so what the NFL did is they just jumped on board to say, hey, we support equality because if we don't, we're going to get we're going to catch backlash and we can't have that. We can't have that, particularly with the season that's right on the horizon. And so I I I don't respect the NFL. I, I I understand it's a business, but I don't respect the NFL because they never respected us. They only respected us when everybody else jumped on board and they still don't respect us. They just know that in order for us to play, okay, for 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 us not to to opt out of the season, okay, they have to get behind Black Lives Matter, right? And so I, I just think it's it's I, I I'm not a fan of it. Um I, I understand the business behind it, but I, I think they're 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 all, you know, liars and um you know, they, they should just say what it is. If you don't, if you yeah. don't support it, don't support it, but let's not sugarcoat things. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's shift gears and, and talk about the actual performance on the field. I guess, you know, for me, you know, as I said, as somebody who's a weirdo who plays sports video games, but doesn't watch sports, I am incredibly fascinated by the performance on the field of, of what some of these people do. And you've spent time around world-class athletes. And I realize this is probably a question that doesn't necessarily have like a clear-cut answer. Otherwise, you'd probably be worth billions. But what is it that makes Tom Brady a Tom Brady, a LeBron James a LeBron James? Like, how is it that those people end up doing so well? And then why do you get the stories of the ones, you know, there's a documentary about the year that Tom Brady was drafted on on YouTube called Year of the Quarterback. And, um, you know, and I remember they said something like, Five other quarterbacks were drafted that year. One lasted one game. Some guy named Giovanni Carmazzi, who they thought was going to be like the superstar. Um, so what is it that enables performance at that sort of level that allows people to get to where they do? What is it that makes those people different from you know the average player uh, on a team? There, there's so there's such a deep question. It really is. And, you know, I talk about this a lot um, with with my circle and really trying to tap into, you know, really, like you said, that billion dollar answer is, you know, to the question of what makes top athletes great. Right. And, you know, you look at Jordan, you look at Kobe, you look at LeBron, all of these guys had, you know, when you talk to, to people who are around them, they say they were one of the most talented people 
that they've ever met, right? And they were able to do some supernatural things when it came to their 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 sport. But when you also look across the board, each teammate or anybody who's ever been around him said these guys were the hardest working players that they've ever played with. And they demanded more from themselves and more um, from the people around them than anybody else. And that's, that's really the start is having that standard of, I have to outwork everybody because there's always somebody coming from my position. And even if I'm number one, there's always somebody fighting for that spot. So I have to, I have to compete. I have to find a way to get the edge. Yeah. And that's, well, that's, in, that's in, that's in life, right? Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, well, I, I very distinctly remember Roland Lazenby um, wrote a biography about Michael Jordan. The li- he called Michael Jordan the life. And the one thing that stood out to me in that book was that, you know, he said that Jordan showed up at the first day of practice and played like it was game seven in the NBA finals. Guys that get it right. Guys that perform at the highest level that are number one at what they do. Take everything like it is the most important thing um, that they're currently doing at that present moment, right? And so if it's practice, they play just like a game. When it's game time, they've been playing like that in practice, so it's just second nature to them. Yeah. You know, and we, as, as, as an athlete, coaches would always say, you practice like you play. And it is 100% true, right? It's like studying to take a test and you're, half, and you're going through the, you know, studying half-ass and then you take the test and then you get a, you know, B minus or a C plus, it's like, well, how, why'd you get that? Well, you, your preparation was a B minus or a C plus. You weren't preparing like it was it, like you wanted to get the A plus, right? And that's really what, what it comes down to. The second thing is kind of looking at um, all of these different athletes is that most, and I'd say probably 100% of them had something to prove either to themselves, to their, to, to their family. I know, you know, uh, Jordan was trying to prove uh, that he was better than his, his brother to his father, Right. Um, Tom Brady is, is kind of the exception when, when I look at kind of the greats, we look at Gretzky, when you look at Jordan, Kobe, uh, I'll throw LeBron in there. When you look at these guys, they all have these innate, uh, uh, gifts and talents, right? Like Jordan could jump higher than, you know, anybody, uh, uh Gretzky, uh, was able to, to, to analyze the, the, the hockey, um, uh, rank and, and, and places on the, the, the the, the ice better than any other hockey player. Um, Kobe, very, very similar. LeBron, just a freak of nature. When you look at Tom Brady and you look at, you look at him when he left Michigan, scrawny, you know, six, five kid, um, uh, no muscle, very slow, um, decent arm, not super strong. But what Tom did that just blows my mind that none of these athletes really had to do is Tom created who he is today from really, Right, right. I mean, it's been going on since he was in high school, but you know, once he got into the NFL and he saw what his competition was, he leveled up one, but two, Tom learned the system or, or he learned the game and then created a system to excel at the highest level in that game. It's essentially like what Elon Musk is doing in the car business, right? Yeah. And when you, when you, when you look at that, it's, it's actually phenomenal when, as opposed to looking at a Kobe or a Jordan because he didn't have those gifts. Tom Brady's the, the slowest quarterback in the NFL. He doesn't have the strongest arm, but yet he's won more Super Bowls than anybody else. <laughs> yeah. How is that possible? And it comes down, it comes down really what it comes down to is his hunger to win. And you yeah. can't, you can't make that up. Uh, you can't create that. 
Um, that is something that has to live within and each person can find it, right? But it takes a, a, a deep process of self-realization and, and uncovering really what, what you're here for and living through that. Uh, because it's, it's difficult to, to say, Hey, I want to be the best football player, but you don't really love football. <laughs> like, you know, I tell some, some of the guys that I, that I train, I'm like, Hey, like, if you don't love this, like, they're, they're, why are you doing it? You know, go do something else. Because if you're not thinking about playing on Sundays and you're not thinking about lining up against, you know, some of the best players, that's what I used to do as a kid. I'd be thinking about Deion Sanders or Troy Aikman throwing me the ball. And that's how I played. You know, but if you're not thinking about, you know, Sundays and, and what you're going to do, then it, it's probably not the, the game that you should be playing. Yeah. Well, that I think kind of brings us full circle to that whole <clears throat> idea of cognitive versus physical ability. And I know that, you know, on the field of play, when it comes to performance, particularly at this level, cognitive capacity plays an incredible you know role in, in, in what these people do, like for, like you said, Tom Brady, to be able to look down the field and make such quick decisions. Uh, how do people actually develop that sort of decision-making capacity? Like what parts of what you learn from the NFL have actually played out in your own life um, post-NFL? Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's such a great question because it, it is a very uh, high cognitive load, particularly when you're under pressure. And that's why practice, the practice element and practicing like you're going to play is, is so crucial because um, when you practice and you put pressure on yourself, when that pressure comes in the game, it, it, it becomes, you know, second nature. It's like, oh, okay, I've been here already. Like, I know what to do as opposed to, oh, shit, like, uh, we did not go through this. Like, what, like, you just, it, it, you know, fuck everything and run, right? <laughs> um, and, and so, um, the main, I would say one of the, the, the main elements to just from a, 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 a psychological perspective is, Making sure that the, the skills challenge to where you're, who you're going up against is being matched in, in practice. Um, and when I say that, I mean, if you're going up against a top receiver that week, you need to have someone in practice that's emulating and giving you the right look. Otherwise, once you get into the game, you're going to, you're, 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 you're not going to be matched or your, your, your metric or your expectation of what you believe or how you believe this guy plays is going to be completely different once you step on the on the field. The next thing is there's there's this big uh, element of pattern recognition, um, particularly with quarterbacks. That um, it is is in, is one reason why you constantly study film because football is there's there's only so many patterns that you can do with eleven guys, right? And so when you look at uh, certain tendencies, when you look at certain signals, when you look at certain formations, there's only, you know, three plays, maybe four plays that, that, that a team runs out of the same formation, right? Maybe they're going to do a play action. Maybe they're going to hand the ball off. Maybe they have a quick pass out of it, but you got to understand uh, the, the pattern and you got to recognize that pattern, right? Um, you also have to understand momentum and, 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 and how to control that momentum, um, particularly, um, when you when you get the lead and, and and when you're trying to maintain that lead and the last thing is 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 limiting the the mistakes and that's 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 usually what uh, loses games is you know dumb mistakes like I don't know if you watched the Raiders um, Saints game where uh, one of the running backs just fumbled the ball it was an easy toss and he just dropped it because his his eyes went to run instead of you know securing the ball but just small little mistakes like jumping off sides and things of that nature. Um, yeah. can, can really hurt you in a game. And so when you, when you look at it from a cognitive load, it's how can you turn off that, that prefrontal cortex to where you hear 
you hear, you understand, and you've practiced what it is that you're doing, right? But you can focus on the opposing side as opposed to thinking about what you have to do. Because anytime, and, and we do this, you know, just in our in our life, right? Anytime you're thinking about what you have to do, and, and you know, I, I I don't know, you know, what your main focus is, but let's just say you're you're doing something for the podcast or you're you're writing a research report, and you're thinking about that research report, the writing doesn't come out as, 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 uh, as smooth as it should. Right. And it's the same thing as when you're, when you're playing as an NFL player or any player, and you're thinking about going through your, your progression, you're thinking about, Oh, I got to shoot. Oh, keep my elbow inside. Michael Jordan is not thinking about that when he's running down last play of the game needs to hit a buzzer beater. He's not thinking about, keep your elbow inside, make sure comes off the, the middle finger. Right. And, and we, we lead with our wrists, right. He's not thinking about those kind of things. He's literally thinking about, I got to get to this point. I got to put the ball off before, you know, before the buzzer goes off. And that's what he does because he's practiced it so much. Right. And so it's really just turning off that, that main, um, uh, like I said, prefrontal cortex and, and just get in the zone. And that's, that's really what we, we all try to do. Um, no matter, you know, what part of the game or the field you're playing on. Yeah, well, it's funny because it, it's it. You're you know when you said mistakes, it was like oh that that explains why I lose games to my you know roommate when we play NBA 2K. It's like so, one stupid mistake usually is what undoes the entire game for one of us. Yeah, um, like and a, that's basketball, right? Imagine imagine football where you know yeah. it takes a whole team to move down the field and score. Mm-hmm. So I guess you know I have, I have two final questions for you. So I think everybody goes into this, I know, knowing that at some point this is going to come to an end, particularly with NFL players, right? You have a much shorter shelf life because of the fact that it's so physically demanding and so tough on your body. Um, When people get out and even for your own sake, you know, when you know that this is over, that you've spent, you know, whatever it is, 10, 12, 15 years um, playing this sport, how do you recover a sense of identity? Because you still have, you know, like a whole life in front of you, you know, because I think I remember somebody saying like Kobe Bryant really, you know, unfortunately, you know, you, with him passing, but he actually ended up, you know, starting a movie studio, doing all sorts of creative stuff. Like he had this entire other chapter of his life that he didn't get to live out. Yeah, it, it, it's for basketball players. I mean, that's really the sport to play basketball. Um, if you can play in the NBA for five, six years, um, you can have a nice, a nice career. Um, it's just, it's very similar in football if you can make it three years. But um, the difference is, you know, you, you got 53 players on the field that wear helmets. Most people don't know who you are unless you're a star. Um, and the money that you're making isn't guaranteed. And so guys like Kobe, who, you know, make millions and millions of dollars and have endorsement deals and things of that nature, really have the world at their fingertips, right? Kobe was done. I mean, you, you, you pick the phone up, excuse me, you pick the phone up and you say, I'm Kobe Bryant or his assistant calls and says, Hey, Kobe Bryant wants to have a meeting with you. I don't care if you're the CEO at bank of America, you're going to have, you're going to have a meeting, right? And and it's it's just because he, he, he built the name, he built the recognition. um, He, he became great at, at that thing. And so everybody respected him for that greatness. And Kobe has a lot of money. Right. And so when you have resources, there's you, you, there's a plethora of opportunities at your fingertips. But most guys don't end up in that situation. Most guys make, you know, they may leave, you know, the NFL with 250. Um, I'd say probably if, if I looked at the average and I say, what is the average guy? So three and a half years is the average time spent in the NFL. So if you just look from, let's just say 2000 or 1995 to where we're where we are today, I'd probably say the average person leaves the NFL with maybe 250k um, wow. after taxes, right? The average when we when we look at the average, and so 
you know, there's, there's things you can do, um, with 250 K, you can definitely set yourself up to have a nice life. Um, however, it's not a million bucks. Um, it's not 10 million bucks. Like some of these bigger players, like a Steph Curry, like when Steph Curry gets done playing, he'll be able to do whatever he wants. Patrick Mahomes, same thing, right? He's, he's got hundreds of millions of dollars now to be able to, um, you know, make strategic moves, make strategic investments. I mean, even if you put 5 million into a, a private equity fund and you got around some very smart people or you co-invested with some very smart people, right? You're going to be able to turn that portfolio into something substantial. And I know LeBron has done that. He, you know, he's invested in, in Blaze Pizza with um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's son. Uh, I know he's invested. I know Kobe did uh, Body Armor. Um, I think he invested like six million in that, and I, I mean, it, it sold for a couple hundred million, I believe. Um, so these guys have a, a much higher, much higher capital to play um, in, in different, uh, I'd say, uh, uh, industries. To where most people, two hundred fifty k, like that's living expenses. That's that's maybe looking at a down payment on a house. But the next, the next big thing is is Kobe, LeBron, uh, Curry. Brady, they don't have to go out and look for a job when they're done playing. You got two hundred fifty k in your in your bank account. When you're done playing, you got you're gonna have to figure out what the next step is, and you're gonna have to figure that out fairly quickly, at least the next two years, so you can start making money. And usually, most guys, like I said, don't have the proper credentials when they leave um, college, and so they got to go back and learn something new. And they're gonna be making you know seventy eighty k max. If you're you're good at what you do, maybe you're making a hundred, and so um, you're you're now living the regular life that most people in corporate are living, right? Yeah, I guess you know, like I, I wonder, you know, does it feel when that happens to them like some sort of fall from grace because you've had this sort of you know life that many kids who are basically you know on a sports field growing up, throwing footballs, you know, shooting bat hoops on their you know court, um, dreaming about this, and then suddenly you've had, you know, you've had, you get to have this experience that most people never will. And then, you know, you come back to like, you know, back down to earth and reality. Yeah. Is it, I mean, again, kind of like the people who don't make it after college, that's got to be fairly somewhat quite disorienting and uh, quite an adjustment. So how do people maintain their sanity, I guess, or, or, you know, deal with their emotional well-being during this? It's a great question, and I wish I had a uh, an answer for what the masses do, but um, most just figure it out. Uh, I know now, fortunately, we have a lot more resources. We have, you know, obviously social media that uh, you know everybody's talking about mental health now, which is huge, and uh, it's something that wasn't really spoken about when I was done, um, and obviously before me. And so, you know, guys would just deal with it how, however they could. Some would go to drugs, others would. You know, try to find something something new that gave them that that high. But like you, you, it's not just the the the, the sport; it's the lifestyle, right? For yeah. for me, it's you know, I, I you know making you know hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, um, pretty much being able to go anywhere, do anything, um, get into anything. There wasn't too many things I couldn't go to, um, you know, in terms of events. You know, I, I just call. I said I played for the Patriots, and you know, doors opened, and so. You know, you go from living that kind of lifestyle to, you know, hey, nobody really cares about you anymore, or hey, right. you know, um, you know, but nobody cares who Brett Lockett is. You know, um, I remember I uh, recently tried to get a check mark on Instagram, and um, you know, I I know tons of NFL players who have you know a couple thousand followers. They have check marks, and it's like you, Brett, you're not in the NFL anymore. And there's just constant reminders that if you're if you're not at this status, that the world doesn't respect you. 
or that 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 you can't have certain things. And so there's this whole trauma, I think, that most athletes go through to where they create this story as to why. And I think it's it's not all of them, but most of them create this story as to what they have to be in order to have something. And I think we all create that story in our in our in our mind that, hey, I have to be this. I have to be uh, a partner at a law firm. I have to be the COO. I have to be the director of marketing in order to have this. And we put the, the we tell ourselves a story that we have to be this before we can have this, and it's it's so not true. And it's part of the reason why you know I went into to coaching you know entrepreneurs and, and executives and athletes and showing them that it, it is absolutely one hundred percent possible to be able to live however you want right now. Right? We just have to adopt that mindset. The rest will catch up. Hmm. Wow. Um, well, this has been really really cool. Uh, I've just so enjoyed talking to you. I feel like I've learned so much and <clears throat> I almost feel like I might be able to kick my roommate's ass at NBA 2K now <laughs> from some of the things you've taught me because he's been on a steady winning streak that I haven't been able to break. Listen, all you got to do is make him make more mistakes than you and um, you take advantage of his mistakes. You'll win every time. <laughs> well, I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all yeah, of our sure. unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? <sighs> There's an unwavering confidence that comes with the grades, an unwavering mindset that doesn't limit people, but only propels them to where they want to be. And there's only a select few that adopt this type of mindset. And it starts with working on yourself day in and day out, but also understanding what game you're playing and playing that game at the highest level. And so if you want to become unmistakable in anything in life, well, let's not mistake who it is that you are and what game you're playing. Wow. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share your story, uh, your wisdom, and your insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your work, and everything that you're up to? Yeah, thanks. I, I, this has been great. I, this is a lot of fun. And I always enjoy these these, these thought-provoking conversations because you know, topics don't necessarily, these topics don't necessarily get talked about enough. And, and I'm happy we were able to kind of broach some of these, um, you know, these, these, these significant, I think, uh, things that just need to be talked about across the board. But um, you guys can find me on Instagram, uh, Brett underscore Lockett. Uh, you can visit my website, www.brettlockett.com. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on all that good stuff. Um, I'm very responsive. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm all about helping people get to where they want uh, to be in life. So that's what lights me on fire. So if that's you, if that's something you're looking for and you just don't know how to get there, I'd love to talk more about it. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.